0: This podcast is brought to you by the City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Family. Um... For about the last six months, Ellen over here, our worship leader, has been doing double duty as our worship leader and also our student ministry director. And I have some good news for us. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be welcoming a new student ministry director into our fold. Um, Tyler and Jane Fitch have been um, offered the ministry role, student ministry director here at the city church. Now, I actually hired them or offered them the job back in January, but they were still in Bible school. So I didn't want them to leave Bible school to come and be our student ministry director. So they graduated uh, two weeks ago and then they just got married on Friday and then they're going on their honeymoon and then they're driving across country. They're actually, they got married in Portland. They both were at Portland Bible College. So they're on their honeymoon and they're gonna drive across the country and they will be here on Sunday, June the 4th. So we'll, we'll be able to welcome them um, into our church family. And it's an exciting time for us you know, uh, to take our student ministry to the next level. Uh, it's a funny story. I actually went to youth group with Tyler's mom about 30 years ago. Um, and that I was able to connect with him back in the fall. And they were actually here one Sunday back in December. And we went through the interview process and we really liked them. And so uh, they'll be here in a couple of weeks. So we wanna make them feel welcome. You know, we're all comfortable here and we all know each other and stuff like that. So when they're here that first Sunday, we wanna make sure we love them and shake their hands and welcome him into our family, amen? So that's awesome. But let's give Ellen a hand. She she actually did a lot of work. You know, when I was youth pastor, I didn't have to be wor- uh, worship leader. She did both uh, for the last six months like a trooper. And I thank you, Ellen, for all of your faithfulness. She did a great job. <clears throat> I have a lot of stories about Ellen. Uh, she... Was in, well, I was youth pastor, she was in my youth group and she used to like talk all the time, but she made it through and she's a good person today. <laughs> so we are uh, launching this brand new series today called Energized and the idea of this series is that there's automatically things in our lives that we do and we partake of. That energize our lives, and then there's other things that we do that sap energy from us, or maybe people that we get around that can sap energy from us. Um, you know, as I was thinking about this, um, you know, my wife and I, we first got married. We used to go to Sherway a lot for some reason, and then there was a store at Sherway, I'm not sure if it still exists or not, if it doesn't, no sweat off of my brow, but it was called Crabtree in Evelyn. If you don't know what the store is, basically it's like there's potpourri in it, and any store with potpourri is not my kind of store. So we would go into this store and there was like very narrow aisles and generally, you know, it was so small. And generally when I was in there, I would knock over a display or something and it would be like toxic, the smells, uh, toxic to my nose. And it's just not my kind of store. Um, and then another type of store that's not my store is Michael's. My youngest daughter, she's very crafty. She likes to paint and draw and all these things. And so sometimes she just wants to go to Michael's and like walk the aisles. And I walk through Michael's and I'm like, oh, pillows. Why would anyone want to make pillows? Um, you know, it's just like a craft store. Like It's all unnecessary things to me and it kind of saps energy um, from my life. And there's other things that we might find uh, to do that really energize us. You know, my wife was cleaning out the basement a little bit uh, yesterday and she found... A box of mine with stuff in it, amazing stuff, let me tell you. And she wanted me to go through it with the idea of purging things. So it was a box that we've had in our basement for about 10 years. We haven't gone through it, but that's still fine. There's still really important things in there. So I went through this box, and in this box, um, there was a bunch of mementos from when I was about 19, 20 years old. I didn't have a girlfriend, so I had a lot of time to play sports and go to the Blue Jays games. And I was like really into the Blue Jays when I was about 19 or 20. Once again, no girlfriend, lots of money. And then the opposite happens when you have a girlfriend. Um, So I was like going to the Blue Jay games. I'd buy like single tickets first row. I would go and I would get baseballs at batting practice. You know, typical bachelor life. It was exciting. And I was so into the Blue Jays that we had all of these. They would have like these yearbooks. And I would literally sit in my bed at night and read through the Blue Jay yearbook to like look at player stats. It's actually kind of sad right now when I think about it player stats and all of these different records of the Blue Jays. And I have a very vivid memory about when I was about 19 years old, the music that comes on the radio before the Jays game, their first game of spring training, the music came on the radio and I legit got chills in my car. That's how excited I was about the Blue Jays. You might have different stories about things, how hopeful that you do, things that energize you and things that sap the energy from your life. And what the idea of is this series is that us as individual members of the church, Christ followers, and then us as a church, there's things that God has called us to do and accomplish as I follow Jesus and then us as a group following Jesus. Um, the things that God has called us to do, when we do these things, we will be energized by the Spirit of God, because we, we're engaging in obedience. God has called us to do a bunch of stuff, engage in a bunch of stuff as a church family, and when we do those things, we will be energized. So let's turn, as we mentioned, Isaiah 4, let's read this together, Isaiah 40, verse 28. It says, "'Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth.'" So these verses are telling us that there are going to be things in our lives that we are engaged with that are actually going to sap our strength. But God still wants us to run. God still wants us to walk. He still wants us to be engaged in life um, so that we're not living in this constant place of our, our strength being taken away from us, that he actually wants us to do the things that he's called us to do so we can experience his strength and his energy. Now, when we think about energy, we can have emotional energy, um, just, you know, in our heart and with our affection. And then we can also have energy related to our attitude. If we have a good attitude, we know we can experience energy. If we have a bad attitude, it can sap our energy. And then also we know this is true physically. Um, When we ever engage in some sort of exercise, you know, we watch really muscular people on Facebook and we see them doing exercise. And sometimes it feels like we've exercised by watching people who are in shape exercise but we know that that's not true and then at various times in our life maybe we've been maybe more in shape or less in shape and when it comes to physical energy how is it that we get physical energy we know that one of the ways that we get physical energy is from proper rest but then the other way to get physical energy is actually to do physical things right So it's like sowing physical energy and we know that we will reap physical energy if we ever spend any time walking or doing some sort of exercise that eventually we will get in shape. Does anyone need to get in better shape today? Because we know when we get in better shape, we'll have more energy. So this is true across the board in our lives. This is true spiritually, emotionally, physically with our attitudes when we sow and we do these things that God has called us to do we will experience energy. Let's turn our over to Matthew chapter 16. Now in this portion of scripture, there's this conversation between Jesus and his disciples, his followers. And he asked them, you know, who do people uh, say that I am? And you know, the answer, is, some say you're this person, some say you're like the old Testament prophets. And then Jesus asks his disciples, well, who do you say that I am? And then Peter comes out with this great revelation, you are the son of the living God. And then we see the story continue, Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You did not get the answer out of books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that is not all. You, have, you will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open and every, any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth and earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven and a no on earth is a no in heaven. But this phrase here in the middle, it says a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out a church expansive with energy so once again the church is not a building not this church building or any other church building the church is people the church is you and see god has called us as individual christ followers to follow him to do church things and one of those church things one of those church people things is to gather together um, we, as individual Christ followers, aren't supposed to be on our own. We're not supposed to be sort of living lone wolf Christian lives. And I get that. You know, sometimes people have gone through difficult experiences at church. And then somebody at church has hurt them. Or they go through something at church. And they think, well, you know, I'm not going to go to church anymore. Because I just get hurt at church. And, and the reason people get hurt at church is because there's other people there. You know, and some people say, you know, I don't want to go to church because they're all... Uh, Churches are all full of hypocrites, and we would say, well, there's always room for one more hypocrite. And, you know, like I've, I've been in church my whole life, and like I say, if you haven't uh, been hurt at church yet, you just haven't been in church long enough. Eventually, it's coming. And the reason why people get hurt at church sometimes is there's people there. There is people at church. And we have very high standards for other Christians and how they should act. And then when other Christians don't meet those standards, sometimes we divorce ourselves from the whole idea of church, and we're like, I'm just going to go on my own. But God never called any Christian to be disassociated with the local body. God has called us all to be part of a church family, a local church family. Uh, wherever you may live, God, God wants us to be part of a church family because there are certain things that we can do as individuals, but then there are certain things that we do as a group that God, is, God has called us to do. ...as a group, not on our own, that we, that can only happen when we're at a part of the church. So what is one of those things that the church does together? Acts chapter 2, we see uh, the genesis or the birth of the New Testament church. And one of the things that we see the church do together is found in verse 47. It says, "...praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved." one of the things that we see that the church, the New Testament church did together is they were praising God together. Now, the first part of all of our services on a Sunday when we gather together is worship. It is singing to God. Now, we don't add it in just for filler. We don't add singing and worship in just so you can look at our pretty lights on our stage. We actually do singing and worship at the first part of our services so that we can all engage in worship to God. You know, and I'm big on promptness, and this is uh, one of the reasons why I want you to come to church on time. So it's a guilt-free zone right now. I'm not condemning you. I'm just letting you know, for those of you that miss uh, part of the service, miss part of the worship, you are missing some something that we're actually all supposed to be doing together. Um, and we want you to come on time, not just so you can, you know, get a, a bronze or a gold medal for showing up to church on time, is that so you can actually engage in worship. The songs that we pick and the songs that we sing are intentional, that we would sing certain lyrics, that we would celebrate God's faithfulness, that we would remind ourselves about the goodness of God. Now, the, we certainly can sing on our own, we, and we should sing on our own as individuals, in our car or what have you in our lives. But there's something special when the church comes together and sings. There's a unity that happens. There's a coming together, a lifting up of one voice, raising up the name of Jesus. And once again, this is something that we see the early church do and then we um, should continue to do it. There's churches all across the globe uh, meeting together and they're singing and they're worshiping God. And then we see all through the book of Psalms um, the, you know, Israel gathering together to sing. There's something special that happens when we worship God. Now I can, when we think about singing, there's something, you know, something specifically emotional that happens when we sing. Um, you know, you could read song lyrics to a love song and it just sounds like a nice poem and it sounds like some rhyming going on and stuff like that. Now, I'm not going to sing this morning. You don't have to be worried. You don't actually want me to sing. Um, And I could read you song lyrics, but then if I were able to sing those song lyrics to you, it just takes up uh, the emotional temperature a little bit of those words and those lyrics. God has just created us this way. There's something that happens when we sing as an individual, and then there's something special that happens when we sing as a church family. We could see this... In the Old Testament, Psalm 34, verse 3, it says, "...O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together." Something that we're actually supposed to be doing together. Yes, I follow Jesus. Yes, I put my favorite worship music on in my car, and I sing to God in my car. But then there's something that God calls us to do together, collectively as a group, that we would come together and we would magnify God, lift up the name of Jesus. Um, Some of the definitions of the word worship, I found this phrase in one of my commentaries. It says this true worship is not the mechanical repetition of rituals, but should be wholehearted and reverent. It should be based upon trustful and obedient lives. In that obedience is itself to be seen as an act of worship. So how we live our lives is also an act of worship. But then this gathering together, uh, doing something from the heart. Once again, not a mechanical repetition of rituals. So when we gather together to worship on a Sunday morning, it shouldn't just be some sort of mechanical thing that we go to, that we go through. I'm just going to, you know, sing along with the team or, you know, I'm just not going to sing along with the team. I'm just going to let the team, I'm going to let the worship leader sing and I'll just sit and watch and I'll, you know, have my hands in my pocket and okay, let's get to the preaching. Let's get to the next thing. No, we're actually supposed to be engaging our hearts. Worship is not so much about the outward. Uh, there is an aspect of outward worship, but it, where it needs to start is in our hearts. So that when we're clapping or rejoicing or raising our hands, the starting place for that is not the exterior, but it is actually the interior. It is actually our hearts that we would be engaging with God. That we would have this wonderful opportunity on a Sunday, gather together to worship God, to magnify him, to become aware of his presence. Now, God's presence never leaves us. The scripture says he never leaves us or forsakes us. But when we sing, when we worship, we're reminded, oh yeah, God is with me. Oh yeah, I'm reminded that I am a son and a daughter of God. Oh yeah, I'm reminded that I don't have to be afraid, when we gather together to sing we are we should become excited about the presence of god we should be excited that we are children of god reminded of the goodness of god reminded of the grace of god and all of these things happen in the context of worship so i encourage you you know if you can if you're maybe one of those people you kind of sit and sort of watch and listen i encourage you to take that next step sing engage your heart, sing the lyrics or on the screen for a purpose for you to sing along. And then maybe, you know, if you're kind of in that, you may be a little bit nervous, uh, maybe to raise your hands and worship. You don't have to raise your hands and worship, you know, but one of those things that we do is just an act of surrender to God. Just a way for us to worship God, lift my hands and surrender, lift my hands in worship. Now, if you don't want to, I'm not condemning you, I'm not putting you down. Sometimes it's a little bit nerve wracking to do some of those things in public. I remember when I was 16 years old and there was a particular worship service that I was in and, you know, I, I was generally that type of person in church that just sort of held on to the chair in front of me and sat there and I sang a little bit and, and then maybe I, get, I sang a little bit louder and then, you know, one of those times at a worship service, I, I, I sensed God's presence on my heart in a strong way and I really wanted to raise my hands to worship God but I certainly didn't want my parents to see And I really didn't want anyone else to see. And then, you know, I just really, in that moment, I just thought, you know, I'm just going to raise my hands to God. Because I'm actually not doing it for anybody else. And you know what I realized after I raised my hands to worship God? Nobody was looking at me anyway. And it was actually just that moment, just a wonderful moment of surrender that I could just honor God and worship God. So I encourage you, come on time And worship God with us. Sing along, clap along, raise our hands and worship God. And collectively that we would lift up the name of Jesus. Other uh, ways to define worship. It means to revere God. It means to adore him. It means to express our love. Worship also is a human response to a gracious God. And that goes along with. Uh, Well, with the series that we just finished a couple weeks ago, that when we remember the graciousness of God in our lives, the automatic response for us is just to worship God, to honor Him, to revere Him, to adore Him, to express our love to Him. Jesus has a conversation uh, with a Samaritan woman at the well here in John chapter 4. So let's turn over there and take a look at this story. So Jesus engages with this woman. And then she has a conversation with Jesus about worship, and then Jesus gives this tremendous response that helps us to understand about the heart of worship. She says to Jesus, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So She's almost creating an argument about the exteriors of worship. That worship should look like this and it should be in this place. And you say, the Jews, worship should be in this place and it should look like this. Really times haven't changed. A lot of people argue about all the externals of worship. But here Jesus gets right down to the heart of the matter. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not, it's not this mountain, it's not this mountain, it's not this way, it's not, it's not contemporary is better than hymns, it's not hymns are better than contemporary. It actually has to do with our heart. It has to do with us engaging our hearts. So that's why we would never come, you know, to a worship service and think, well, I don't like this song, so I'm not going to worship. We don't actually worship the song. We worship God through the song. So in a sense, the the song, the vehicle which through we are worshiping God is a little bit irrelevant. Our heart is the most important thing. And then for us to think, well, I don't like this song, so I'm not going to worship God. Then you're worshiping your preference over worshiping God. And we shouldn't be worshiping our preferences. We're supposed to engage with the worship leader. The songs that they sing, man, I'm just going to jump in and sing along with them. I'm going to worship God. This song that we're using... It's just a vehicle, it's just the window through which we see God on the other side. Jesus said, the true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. Spirit, the word spirit, one of the definitions just means breath. You know, this, the, the Old Testament, it says, you know, I'm the, even if we don't worship God, the rocks are going to cry out. I don't want any rock worshipping God in my place. I want to do the worship that is due his name from the breath God has given me. So I'm going to worship God in spirit, with his spirit, on the inside of me. I'm going to honor him with my spirit, the true me, on the inside of me, and then true. In other words, it's just going to be authentic. It's going to be genuine. It's going to be passionate. I'm not going to give my energy to everything else, everyone else everything else, all my ideas, worship my ideas, worship my thoughts, worship myself, and then give God my leftover energy. No, I'm actually going to worship God genuinely from the heart. True, honest, genuine worship that I would just engage God. See, when we think about worshiping God and we remind God in a sense of his attributes when we're singing about who he is and what he's done for us, sometimes we could think, well, why does God actually need worship? Is he just a little bit insecure that he just needs all of us to tell him how amazing he is? You know, and he kind of, you know, from Monday to Saturday, God just gets a little bit depressed. And Jesus says to him on Saturday, don't worry, God, tomorrow is Sunday and everybody's going to tell you how amazing you are again. <laughs> Buck up. You'll be fine. No, it's us reminding ourselves about who he is. That is why we worship God. We worship God for all of the attributes for who he is. We worship and when we sing and when we magnify, we are reminded that we aren't God, that circumstances aren't God, that things aren't God, that people aren't God, that God is God. That he is the creator, that he is the savior, and worship is the way that we remember that. Worship is the way that we honor God, one of the ways that we honor God in our lives. Obedience to his word, that's worship, and then one of the other ways, once again, that we gather together, we sing, we lift up his name, we worship God, and we're reminded of how good he is. It's not just a bunch of externals, it's the heart. Jesus says, though the true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and in truth, I'm going to use my breath to lift up God. I'm going to use my heart to lift up God, to magnify him. Let us magnify the Lord together. See, when we worship, we remind ourselves that God is always present. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now we have to read verse 18 the correct way. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, because all circumstances don't come from God. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. And the, other, the idea is whatever's going on in and around us, in that moment, those are the moments where we got to thank God. We're not thanking God for the negative things that come in our lives because God is not the author of those things. But in the context of any circumstances that come our way... Thankfulness should be our disposition. And it is those moments that we have to thank God, that we have to worship God to remind ourselves who He is. Because it's so easy to magnify the circumstances. We read there about magnifying the Lord. Now, when we magnify the Lord, if you've ever used a magnifying glass, it doesn't actually increase the size of the item, it just increases the size of it to you. And the potential is there for any circumstance that comes our way that we can just magnify circumstances. This comes our way, and this comes our way, and we talk about it, and we complain about it, and with this and, that, and this is bad, and this is bad, and then what do we end up doing? We end up magnifying the circumstances over God. What does God tell us? And what is God's will for us in Christ Jesus? That in all circumstances, we are supposed to be thankful. In other words, we're supposed to carry that disposition of worship regardless of the circumstances. Because actually in the middle of those difficult circumstances, that's when I need to magnify God. I need to remember that God is bigger than those circumstances. That's why I magnify God, not the circumstances. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's why on a Sunday, we don't gather together and sing the blues. We magnify God. We don't magnify. Now, we're not pretending that the problems aren't there. And we're not pretending that we don't face stuff. And we don't face circumstances. But God says, in those circumstances, give thanks. Why? Because I'm making God bigger. And I'm reminding myself that God's power is bigger than this. This thing is going to pass away. This thing is going to go. But God, he's bigger than that. That we would give thanks to God in all circumstances. And that also means that when we give thanks, when we don't actually feel like it. And that means we give thanks according to our faith, not according to our feelings. That we're remembering who God is. That I'm putting my trust in God. I'm worshiping God. I'm magnifying God. According to my faith, not according to my feelings, because my feelings are going to be up and down. If I'm waiting to feel something to worship God, we would never worship God because our feelings are so up and down and everywhere. So we're worshiping worshiping God by faith or according to our faith. And then when we do that, we're reminded about how good and how amazing he is. There's a story here in Acts chapter 16. That illustrates this for us tremendously about somebody who goes through a really difficult, dark time, and in the middle of that, they are deciding to praise God. Here in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul, you know, he's out there ministering, doing a bunch of good things, and there's uh, this this girl following him, and he, And he uh, cast the devil out of this girl And then he gets put in jail because of this You know and he's just out there trying to do good stuff And then he finally he gets put in jail And he's a little bit frustrated And these circumstances can be frustrating So let's read about this here in Acts uh, 16 verse 23 It says when they had inflicted many blows upon them They threw them into prison Ordering the jailer to keep them safely Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, when we think about a prison today, you know, we might have a certain image come to mind, but how many, you know, this is like a prison from 2000 years ago. This is not a clean situation. There's most likely a rat problem in this jail. Like no one is using Purell to clean up, you know, the jail cells in this time. They're there with the mice and the rats, and, the, and, and they're not on the outer prison where they might be able to see some stars or a moonlight. They are in the inner prison. I mean, this is real problems. Not like, not us and our first world problems. You know, we get slow Wi-Fi sometimes and we're ready to lose it. Like, these are like real issues that they are facing. And not only that, they're in chains. They're in those old-fashioned stocks and they're hanging there. Just like the worst situation that you could probably imagine. And then it says this phrase in verse 25. It says about midnight. The darkest time in the worst place. The darkest time in the worst place. What do they do? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open. And he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. The worst circumstances in the darkest night. What did they do? They prayed, sang hymns or sang songs. And then what happened? We see that their circumstances were changed pretty quickly. Now, when we sing and we pray, our circumstances might not shift quite as fast as this, or we might not see the results immediately. But the point is, in the middle of those dark times, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just cry, woe is me, and oh, I've got it worse than everybody else in my situations? No, that's magnifying the problem. In the middle of those times, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to worship God. And then we will see our circumstances change because we are reminding ourselves about the goodness of God, the love of God, the power of God, the grace of God. And then the last thing that we see here in these verses is that someone else then will be influenced. They were praying and they were singing hymns and then what other people heard. And at the end of the story, the the head of the jail ended up coming and saying, what, what wants I do to be saved? You know, the scripture says that many will see your praise and reverence God. So why do we sing as a church family? Why do we gather together in unity to lift up the name of Jesus? Part of the reason is we want other people to follow Jesus. We want other people who are far from God to look at us and our genuine worship and say, man, those people really love God. Those people are really being transformed and changed by the power of God. I want to find out about this God too. I want to find out about Jesus too. So we sing and we worship God to remember who he is and his presence and his power. But then we also lift up the name of Jesus with one voice and as a church so that other people will be drawn to him. Jesus said in the gospel of John, he said, if you lift me up, The Son of Man will be lifted up and all people will be drawn to him. That's why we worship God. One of the reasons why we worship God. We're going to receive communion together as a church family. The elements are there in the seat in front of you. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.